Tonight, though, goes back to the previous series of sermons. We had uh, Paul Perdue spoke to us today, and then last week we had uh, Resurrection Sunday, but we are going back to the forgiveness series tonight. And what I'd like us to do is just to review a bit for a few moments Review is part of learning. I hope not to repeat uh, overly much here, but to talk about just some of the basics, the basic fundamentals of forgiveness. The first concept is that forgiveness is the removal of the guilt of sin after terms of justice have been fully satisfied. And that second half uh, of the statement I think is important. Because God does not just arbitrarily forgive sins. But also, let's look then at the first half. Forgiveness is the removal of the guilt of sin. Remembering, get this in your mind, because you won't hear this anywhere in our culture or even among many Christians, but guilt is not just a feeling. Guilt is more than a feeling. Guilt is really ultimately a state we may have some, two, there's two guys standing at the Minnesota River and you see them, you're walking along and you see them there and they both have this big container of used motor oil and they're pouring it into the lake or into the river. And you kind of say, that's not right. You're not supposed to be doing that. I think pretty much everybody among us would know you don't pour any oil, let alone used motor oil, into the river. Well, we find out that one of these guys is just madder in a hornet that this is wrong. And he is mad at the law, and he doesn't think the law is right, and he doesn't feel any guilt at all, because he thinks he stands in the right and the law is wrong. Well, is he guilty? Yes. He would go probably get fined, if not go to prison for a short time if he was caught. He is guilty, though he doesn't feel guilty. And then we talk to the next guy. He's not from this country. He's done this all his life, and he has absolutely no idea that anybody thought anything was wrong with it. Is he guilty? Yes, he's guilty. Even though he's being informed for the first time in his life that this is wrong, he's guilty. Guilt is not a feeling. Many times guilt comes with feelings, but the feeling itself is not all that guilt is. It is a legal standing being held accountable for sin. This includes this statement, the satisfaction of justice. It is not that anyone will earn forgiveness or would ever deserve forgiveness, but God never arbitrarily forgives sin. He never cancels sin until the debt of sin has been fully paid. Now, who should know that better than those of us who honor the Bible and have just been through a Lord's Supper and have just heard a brief and faithful description of Hebrews chapter 10? We know that the forgiveness of sins comes at a cost. God, does, God never simply cancels sin. But there is, because He is just, because it's in his na- his nature is, He is just in His nature, sin always is paid for. We know by the death of Christ, and that leads to the next point. It wouldn't get us very far, number one. But number two, God has mercifully chosen to pay the full penalty of sin and delights to forgive sinners who repent of sin and trust His provision. So the provision is the death and resurrection of Jesus, and only the gospel sufficiently pays the penalty of sin. Now, our world welcomes the idea of unconditional forgiveness. I mentioned to you the number of different scenes of murders or attempted murders and people that begin to write about this in the secular media talking about Christians who forgive unconditionally. 
One author wrote an article here recently where there was a pastor who a man actually came up, this is a horrible thing, but he came up in the middle of the service and shot the pastor dead. And his wife and daughter were interviewed after this terrible event, and uh, she responded to all of the questions and was very gracious, actually, in the way that she talked about this man that had murdered her husband. And the title of the article was, Pastor's Wife Forgives Assailant. Pastor's Wife Forgives. And as this, this man looked at her statements, he really, she never said anything about forgiveness. But it was interesting that those writing, the, the, uh, reporting on this put that right on the title of the article. What she said was absolutely right, and that was that she said, I hope this, this, that this man will find forgiveness in Christ. We hold no animosity. We do not hate him. We trust that God will do a work in his heart and that he will find forgiveness in Christ, which being interpreted is he's not forgiven because he's not sought forgiveness. I think she was right on, but yet there's the caption on the article, pastor's wife forgives assailant. Our culture wants unconditional forgiveness because they want forgiveness without repentance. But God does not unconditionally forgive sins. One of the harshest verses I shared last time or in this series was 2 Thessalonians 1.8 where Jesus will return in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Frankly, we live in a culture that, and even among many Christians, that don't know that Jesus at all. A Jesus who will come to inflict vengeance on those who do not know God. But that is who God is. That is who Christ is because He is absolutely just. Sin cannot be simply wiped to the side. And God is gracious, as He was with Israel. Remember what He would say to Israel. If you do not follow the terms of the covenant, there will be these horrible consequences. And indeed, in some situation, for instance, if you, if you blaspheme God or if you curse, your parents will stone you. And people say, that, 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 that's that old God. We've evolved past that. That's a wicked God that would ever do such a horrible thing. God was just being real clear with the rules. And he was putting down a rule that would scare anybody from blaspheming him or speaking uh, dishonorably to their parents. God can set up the rules that he wants to set up, and he's always just in doing so. He's just in ever working with us at all. But in his mercy, he makes it very clear, Christ will return with vengeance. And so the answer is, as Acts 2 said, repent for the forgiveness of sins. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Our third fundamental of forgiveness, as people forgive People forgiven by God, we are called to forgive those who sin against us. Now, 
first, what I can do is I can cover over another believer's sin against me and leave forgiveness in God's hands. Particularly, this is the case, and really only, ultimately, with other believers, because we know Christ's death has paid the penalty of all of their sins. So the sin that has been committed against me by another another believer has really been covered. And I can choose to leave that in God's hands and can choose to move forward. I don't necessarily need to seek their forgiveness or for them uh, repenting and granting them forgiveness as such. It is appropriate, if I'm able, to put this in God's hands. Now, Mark 11.25 is probably the most difficult passage to this position, but I would argue again that it's just one sentence in the New Testament, in the teachings of Jesus, where he says in Mark 11.25, whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone. Forgive. Well, a couple things quickly, and there was question on this verse again, but the context is worship to begin with. Secondly, it does not trump what forgiveness is in the rest of the Bible, this one verse. This is a decision, it appears, to hand the guilt of my offender over to God so that I can worship freely. Now that is a matter of the mind, and that is a way that I'm considering this individual, but I don't think this verse rules out later confrontation necessarily if the sin between us necessitates that. It's just in this moment, as I'm coming to worship God, let's say I'm coming to the Lord's Supper, and I am considering the death of Christ to pay the forgiveness of my sins, and I have something against someone, I can in that moment hand that to God. But if that matter remains between us, I'm going to have to deal with it differently. But I'm always able, at least with with believers, to hand the sin to God and to leave it there. But never should we look at Mark chapter 11.25 as a clause allowing us to ignore the hard work of reconciliation. So we looked at... This is supposed to come later, but let's say it now since it's here. Otherwise, if I don't cover sin, I should rebuke the one who sinned against me, soliciting his or her repentance so that I can forgive. That's the hard work of repentance. But first we say, well, how do I know if it's one or two? Do I cover this sin or do I have to go after it? Some prerequisites for covering sin, as we mentioned, was first of all the personal test. I have to ask, am I bitter? Do I hate this person? Do I avoid this person? Is there bitterness in my heart? Does this sin against me hinder my ability to love this person? The relational test. This sin has come between us. Now, I don't necessarily need to confront it if it's not come between us at all, and it's maybe not even known on this person's part that they've sinned. But it is causing a relational problem. The fact that the sin happened is not continued to alter. The test would be that it's not continued to alter the way that we relate to one another. And I have no concern that it will. I don't believe this sin is ever going to come between the two of us. Okay, I've passed that test. Then thirdly, the moral test. This sin against me that someone has committed against me is not an entrenched sin in their life. It's not hurting other people. It's not hindering their walk with God. Someone said an unkind word to me. It did not, it was sin, I guess, in the sense that Hebrews, or Ephesians 4, rather, would say that this is sin. But this this is not an entrenched pattern in their life. They're walking with God. I know they're confessing sin. I don't necessarily need to confront that. And many times we just 
feel offended, and it's unnecessary. But then the fourth test would be, does this sin denigrate the honor of Christ? To a degree or in a manner that confronting the sin could correct. Choosing not to address this matter, I, could, I must say then, will not harm the testimony of the gospel. Now if I can get through those four, and you have to be honest, really on, particularly on that personal level, this isn't causing bitterness, this isn't detracting from my walk with God. It's not between the two of us, it's not a moral issue in their life, and it does not hurt the testimony of Christ. I can cover sin, but otherwise... Otherwise, I should rebuke the one who has sinned against me, soliciting his or her repentance so that I can forgive. Luke chapter 17, we have here a teaching of Jesus on forgiveness. Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. Let's remember this very important passage in the teachings of Christ. Luke 17, he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, and woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Jesus gives a very firm word on those who cause trouble to others and sin against them. And you could imagine some of the disciples saying, yeah, hang a millstone around their neck and throw them in the sea. I've got some people I'd like to do that with because they've sinned against me. Jesus continues, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, you don't hang a millstone around his neck and throw him in the sea. You rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Command. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now the apostles respond, increase our faith. There's debate as to whether or not this actually was the same conversation. But there's no question that Luke put the two together. There's probably some relationship there in any event. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. In other words, it's not great faith in God, it's faith in a great God. I have said that you are to forgive when someone repents, as hard as that may be. Forgive. But again, we notice the consistency, at least here, with the overall teaching of repentance and a payment for sin. Now let's think of a couple things here. First, it's got to actually be sin. There's offenses that take place that aren't someone's sin against me. Many times it's my sin in getting my feathers ruffled and my pride that somebody hasn't seen it my way. That's not sin. Secondly, this forgiveness is conditioned on repentance. The person says, you're right, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And when that follows, never is forgiveness to be withheld. Could you imagine saying, we all could, I will forgive you, but our relationship will never be the same again. Could you imagine saying that? That'd be easy to think of, wouldn't it? Could you imagine God saying that to us? Did you go to the Lord with prayers of confession before you came to the table tonight? I did. 
I ask God to forgive my sin. I confess my sin. Imagine if a voice from heaven came to you in that moment and said, I'll forgive you your sin, but our relationship will never be the same again. What right do we have to speak to someone that way? Now, our relationship with them may never be the same again. But through reconciliation and through the hard work of putting and patching things together again, it may actually be deeper. It may actually be better than it ever was before. We don't know this. And it's not all with us. Sometimes it lies with the other person who will never allow our relationship to be the same again or to ever get any better. I can't know that. But what I can never say is, I'll forgive you, but I don't really care to ever talk to you again. That's not how God forgives us. We are to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. So we ask, what if the person does not repent? Here's where I think a lot of times we put too much emphasis on forgiveness and not enough emphasis upon love. We stand are to stand with open arms ready to forgive. We are to stand in a position of forgiveness. There's to be no bitterness. We have to fight that. No revenge taken. No animosity. No avoidance of this individual. That's not where I'm going to go. I've got to put on my hiking boots and take to the road of patience. We'd all kind of like to just forgive, forget, move on. But what God really calls us to is to the long path of patience in which we put the matter in God's hands and wait for life to bring us to a place of reconciliation in the mercy of God. What I must avoid is that idea that I'm just going to forgive them in my heart and move on. I'm going to wash my hands of the situation. I'll forgive. I'll move forward. Forgiveness is not about me. If we get that idea in our mind, it will spare us from a lot of false teaching. Forgiveness is not ultimately about me. It's about the reputation and the glory of God. When I'm brokering in forgiveness, I am displaying the wonder of the cross, of the salvation that's in Christ. It's not about me getting things taken care of in my heart. It's about a relationship with the person that's wronged me, which is to reflect upon the death and resurrection of Christ. There's summary rebolstering, reestablishing, saying it all again. But now as we move forward from this place, there's a lot of hard questions. And when it comes to real life, there's a lot of difficult questions that come into specific circumstances. I've not taken any single question that's been addressed to me and answered it straight up. Uh, some I've already addressed just in what I've said to this point. But I've taken others and I've kind of lumped them together in various scenarios that I'd like to walk through here. So nobody's exact scenario will be shared, but I'm kind of push a few together and hopefully it will answer the questions that have been asked. But let's take some hard cases. My father was a drunk. He would come home late at night and find something I'd done wrong, something I'd failed to clean up or put away, just anything. Then he'd haul me out of bed, scream at me, and beat me mercilessly. This happened many times, and it destroyed my relationship with my dad. When I became, when I became an adult, I once confronted him toward the end of his life, but he just looked at me like I was a lunatic and ignored my appeal for reconciliation. Three years ago, my dad died. I remained deeply wounded by what he did, 
and was never able to forgive him. What can I do now? How do I forgive such a man? Well, let's just say, if, what if he is alive? That is the way that he looked at your last attempt to reconcile and to talk about this sin in his life. You, in fact, you were seeking to just obey Luke 17. You went and you rebuked him and said, Dad, you remember these things happened. And he just dismissed it. Didn't want anything to do with it. Completely unrepentant. What do I do now? There are all kinds of things that we can do now. They're just not neat and clean. We'd like to go and talk to Dad and have this thing all taken care of in one wonderful evening that we never forget, and we drive home and it's all over. They're not all neat and clean, but we looked at one of them in our series as we came to the end at Romans chapter 12. What does that say? Overcome evil with good. In 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'd like us to turn there and to just focus again on this call. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. What do I do in such a situation? Unrepentant. Someone has indeed harmed me deeply. What do I do? It's so unjust. I can't really forgive. They're unrepentant. God has not forgiven them. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22. We hear of Jesus that He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. And when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. And when He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. Two quick points here. The first is that when I am wronged by someone who is unrepentant, there is a severe temptation for me to sin in return. In some way or other, whether it's bitterness or vengefulness, unjust anger, somehow I will be tempted to sin. In place of that, the second point is that I need to place this in God's hands. So the issue here is really not repentance, I'm sorry, the issue here is, not, is really not forgiveness because there's not been repentance. The issue here is entrusting the matter into the hands of God. And sometimes that's scarier than even confrontation. To say that this wrong has been done to me, sometimes we can hold on to the wrong that's been done to us as an excuse for our own sin and our own weakness. What Jesus demonstrated to us, has anyone suffered as He suffered? No one has suffered unjustly like Jesus did. What he does here is not return in kind, but entrust the situation to God. Now, that, people will come in critically here and say, that's just ridiculous. It doesn't work. This is the battle to which we're called, to continue to walk in faith. That means that I put this matter in God's hands actively, in my mind, in my soul, spirit, day after day after day, I leave it in God's hands. That's really hard work. That's not just some spiritual jargon that doesn't really work for anybody. That's called prayer. That's called meditation. That's called walking by faith. I take the wrong done to me and I leave it in God's care. And let me move on from there. Entrusting it to him, him, now I extend mercy. I stand ready to forgive. I extend mercy. And perhaps I seek a mediator. 
Maybe there's someone in dad's life, this man's life, that could get involved and could help to bring us together. I'm always thinking, always working, never letting it completely rest, and always resting it in God's hands. There is something that can be done. As I've talked with people about this sometimes, I say, I just don't think forgiveness is the issue right now. There's sort of this shock look like, "Uh uh-oh, there's nothing to do? There's all kinds of things to do. It's walk by faith and trust it to God. Extend mercy. Fight evil with good. Forgiveness is really not what's at issue here. But dad's dead. Let's go to that. God has dealt, and this I think is the thought we can have. If, If your dad's dead, and if your father was an unbeliever, God is exacting every ounce of judgment that your dad would ever deserve. You can leave that in God's hands. If your dad is a believer and acting this way would certainly indicate that he's not, but let's just say theoretically, hypothetically, that he is. Dad is now glorified. And he's going to stand in heaven, so to speak, with open arms until you get there. And you're going to have a conversation that blows away everything you could have wished for down here. If he's dead, it's over. You have to turn it over to God entirely. It'll eat you alive. And people long dead can remain in our heads and can destroy our souls, but only because we let them do it. We must give it to God and know that all's been cared for. These are real issues, aren't they? They're hard. I've sinned against someone. Question two, I've sinned against someone in my past and deeply hurt that person. I can imagine my sin continues to cause pain. I'm sure it does. But it just does not seem wise to contact him or her. Maybe the matter is sexual, and it just really doesn't seem like a good idea. I was wrong. I got involved in some way, and I just don't see that that's going to be beneficial. I wonder, maybe another example, if it's just my imagination, and I I may be stirring something up that that person never really even would understand or see, or maybe this is somebody else's mate now at this point, and it's not a sexual issue, but it just, just doesn't sound right for me to bring up a problem like this because it just may be read wrong, and I just don't feel comfortable with it. Now, obviously, in some cases, when we've sinned against someone in our past, we need to go find them, and we need to ask forgiveness. This might be particular. Let's just use a real obvious case. You've stolen something from someone. It just reminded me, I've stolen a book from a friend. I've got to get that back to him. <laughs> Not purposefully, but I keep, never get it back, and I've lost track of him. I've got to hunt him down. Well, this is God's grace there, I guess. <laughs> but he's probably looking for it tonight, you know, saying, where'd that book go? Who'd I give that to? But no, seriously, you've, you've, you've really stolen something from someone. 
you've you got to go find them and give it back. You've got to go find them and make restitution. That's, that's an obvious one, and they'll be very thankful that you did. But in other cases, it just doesn't really seem to be wise to really contact someone. I, again, a young man leads a girl into a sexual sin uh, somewhere in his late teens, and now he's 55 years of age and feeling filled with guilt over this. Does he go look her up? I don't think so. And here's the beauty of God's counsel. Where does the Bible put the responsibility in that relationship? On the part of the person who was wronged. Now, not only there, obviously there are times we should seek a person out and repent of our sin. But there's, if there's ever a case where you're not sure if this is really going to be constructive, the Bible does say, as Luke 17 makes clear, if your brother sins against you, it doesn't say, wait around until he or she comes to you and makes it right. And it's okay if you remain bitter until then, because they've got a job to do. Not at all. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke him. Go talk to him. Find him. So really, if you're unsure that the contact would be welcome, would be helpful, would be constructive... Allow that person to find you, to confront you with your sin, and be ready to take full responsibility and say, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Now, obviously, that may never happen, and if it doesn't, make the matter right between you and God, and perhaps if you're still confused, it might be wise to get counsel. To just lay out, here's what happened, here's how I wronged someone. Do you think it would be wise to go talk to this person? And someone may say, you know what, I think it'd be very wise to get involved in this situation, but I don't think it'd be wise for you to get involved in this situation. Allow someone else to carry the message and seek to make the matter right, perhaps. Many times, again, I think we would just come back to the offended party is responsible before God to come if they believe that would be helpful. But you need, I think it would be always good to have counsel to know that you're doing the right thing to leave this thing alone. Third issue. I think I forgot to put one down. Okay, let me give a different one. If I am, if I am which I can't give to you here, but if I am to forgive as God forgives... If my forgiveness of others is conditioned on repentance, what do I do if an unbeliever asks for my forgiveness? An unbeliever who is not forgiven by God for anything, what do I do if that person asks me to forgive them? Well, I'll say first of all, it probably never will. What the unbeliever will say to you, if they've wronged you and they're coming to you, they will say, I'm sorry. And if they say, I'm sorry, you can say what we say in our house all the time, so am I. That was a joke. But if, if, <laughs> if they say, I'm sorry, you're really let off the hook. Because all they've done is just express that they feel bad about what happened. Well, that's, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it, I, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, you can even witness there and say, I've given it over to God or whatever. They've not asked you to forgive them. They have not said, will you release me from the guilt of sin? They've just said, I feel bad, so fine. But what if an unbeliever actually does the maybe 10% possibility and says, will you forgive me? 
Now you have a little bit more of a complicated situation. I think we could say something like this. Why do you ask for my forgiveness? What does that mean to you? And just see what they say. And if they have something of a sense of really forgiving guilt, then maybe you could say something like, I honestly want to forgive you. I'm really glad that you came to me, and I'm really glad that you're asking my forgiveness. But you know, I wonder if God's forgiven you. And I live for the approval of God, and I want to link up with what God's doing in your life and in my life. And has God forgiven this sin? And they say, well, yeah, I think so. Well, tell me, how is that possible? I live to honor God, and if He has forgiven you, I must forgive you, and I would rejoice to do so. But if God has not forgiven you, how can I? Do you have confidence that God has forgiven your sin? Now, you know, I think probably someone married to an unbelieving mate, that'd be a hard conversation to have, but I would suspect you'd have it once. And after that, it would just be, I'm sorry. Or a workmate that would say something, if you said that one time, I think they'd, they'd revert to, I'm sorry. Or probably avoid you altogether if they ever wronged you again. But I, I, I just think we have to be careful to say to an unbeliever, I forgive you when we know that God has not. Because then I have to ask, what am I doing? And on what authority am I forgiving sin that has not been covered by the sacrifice of Christ? I know that's controversial, I realize that, and I know you can certainly disagree with me, but I think that's a great opportunity to share the gospel, rather than just to say, yeah, I forgive you. Let's, let's move on. A Christian woman is married to an unbelieving man who is a miserable husband. He wrongs her repeatedly every day. He never repents. What is more, any time she confronts him with sin, he makes her pay dearly for it. What is she to do? Well, again, I think confrontation of sin and seeking reconciliation and forgiveness is really meant for a believing relationship. As Luke chapter 17 makes clear, if your brother sins against you, that's what it's really intended for. This is not a case in such a relationship of confronting sin and extending forgiveness as much as it is a question of how do I suffer. So I think really the question here is not about forgiveness at all, most likely. That might factor in. But I think really this is more of an issue of how do I handle this case of suffering and difficulty. And that's a long answer that's difficult. But again, I think I'm hoping to steer things a certain way. I hope that it's clear that this isn't a matter of I have to forgive and then it's over. This is a matter of I'm relating to someone who's causing me a tremendous amount of misery. How do I relate to that person? It's a matter of how do I relate to my enemy? That's really the better question here, not how is forgiveness extended to this husband, how is confrontation to take place, but probably more the issue of how do I overcome evil with good, how do I love my enemy as Christ called me to love my enemy. And that's not an easy issue either, but it just gets it out of the realm of I have this obligation to forgive and gets it into the realm of where it really is, relating to someone who's very difficult. 
Another question, I've asked God to forgive me of my sin, but I simply cannot forgive myself. What am I to do? I like to answer this really simply, and then let's complicate it a little bit. But really simply, I ask this question. Has God forgiven you? Then get in line with God. Are you unforgiven by God? Then what are we even talking about? Repent. It really comes to that simple. If God's forgiven, get in line with God. Are you unforgiven? Repent. But a fuller answer is needed here. The Bible says nothing about forgiving ourselves because our sin is ultimately never against self. Our sin is against God. Even though the Apostle Paul says that we can sin against our own bodies by fornication, for instance, 1 Corinthians 6, King David, when confessing his sin with Bathsheba, said, against you and you only I have sinned. You see what I'm saying? He did sin against his own body. But he says, against you and you only have I sinned, and he's right. Even sinning against our own bodies is a sin not against myself alone or so much, but a misuse of the body God gave me to glorify Him. My sin is against God. I need God's forgiveness, and then I'm forgiven. And that's really the end of the discussion. If God has forgiven me, to then say that I'm not fully forgiven because I have not forgiven myself is to denigrate the mercy of God as somehow insufficient. God has acted to grant me forgiveness, but we're still not there yet. Why? Either you've not repented, or you're not on the page with God. The only way this entirely novel teaching has crept into the church is through the self-esteem movement and the self-therapeutic uh, ideas that come with it. Under this false teaching, we become immune to God-degrading concepts, which this really is. And I, I know that's hard. Some of you have been into forgiving yourself for a long time, and that might be offensive to hear that. I think it's just God-degrading. I, I don't, can't see it any other way. This, what is it saying? It's really saying, I'm deeply disappointed with myself for sinning like this. That's just pride. I expect a lot more of me than this. I owe more to myself than to allow such a sin to taint my record. I know God has forgiven me, but I cannot forgive myself. This is inexcusable behavior for someone with my experience and my background and the church that I go to and the family that I'm in. This is inexcusable. It's, it's nauseating, is what it is, but it, it's, it's totally self-oriented. It's all about me, and forgiveness has become all about what's going on inside of me emotionally. If God has forgiven me, my job is to move on and to rejoice in the forgiveness of God. It's about where he's at with my sin. Now, again, I need to think real carefully. Maybe I've not really repented. And that's why I continue to deal with feelings of guilt, because I am guilty. But if I have truly repented of my sin, and God is forgiven because he keeps his word, what I'm doing is questioning the integrity of God. If he said he forgave you, he forgave you. You can take it to the bank. 
And you don't need to think any longer about forgiving yourself. In fact, just put it to rest. Don't ever bring it up again. Is God, am I reconciled with God? I mean, forgiving myself is like running across the parking lot looking at your toes. It's ridiculous and it's dangerous. When we have God's forgiveness, it's like looking into his face and running forward. That's where we need to be. Get off of self in this. Another question, I've heard that it is sometimes necessary to forgive God. Is this true? Will this help me deal with what I have suffered by forgiving God? God is always to the very core of His being nothing other than absolutely just. God has never sinned and He never will. To forgive is to release one from guilt. God will never be guilty of sin, ever. The suggestion that we need to forgive God results from a woefully inaccurate view of what forgiveness is. A view that is informed by the world's understanding of forgiveness as a release from inner pain. We've got to get past that and come back to the cross. Forgiveness is the payment for sin the release from sin because that payment has been made and repentance has followed. The suggestion that we need to forgive God completely skews what forgiveness is. And while the, the, this intention may not be there, this worldly definition of forgiveness has led many Christians to walk on the thin ledge of blaspheming God. Think of the audacity of taking a prayer to God and saying, I forgive you. Now, I'm hoping that most of you go, what on earth is he talking about? Who on earth ever thought such a thing? It is written in Christian books. Now, thankfully, apparently enough people have raised an objection that it's kind of quieted down. But you can find it in print from people that you would probably respect as they spoke on some topics. But not this one. Don't allow anybody to push you there. I, I think this is a burp from hell. That's all this is. This is ridiculous. But there are counselors that are out there that are saying, you have suffered unjustly. God is a God in control. He'll be okay if you just take this matter to him and forgive him. If you hear that counsel, man, get out of the way. I'd I, I be scared to death to be anywhere near that person. Unless lightning strike in the moment. But it, it's, just, it's just barking up the wrong tree entirely. It's an example of what happens when secular psychology, just to pin it on one thing, informs our thinking and we use Bible verses as window dressing to commend that way of thinking in the church. This didn't come from the Bible. 
This came from somebody's sense of inner healing. And forgiveness fits into this inner healing concept and we begin to say such ridiculous things as we need to forgive God. Now another point that I'm not even going to bring up here more than just to mention it because it's fallen out of use is forgive and forget. There are a lot of books written on the fact that if you've really forgiven, you will forget what has happened. All you have to do to answer that issue is just, does God? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, such were some of you. God doesn't forget in that sense. When it says, God says, I've forgotten your sin, it's not some incapacity on God's part to remember. Now here I am talking about it, but that one's pretty much died out. I think that might be on the uh, trash heap and forgotten, which it should be, um, along with a few other horrible experiences, such as repressed memories and those kind of, it kind of came with the repressed memory thing, if you remember that. And after that destroyed just about every home that it ever touched, people started saying, I think we're playing with fire here, let's leave that alone. But uh, forgive and forget is another common, I think, foolish way of looking at forgiveness. So forgiveness, let me just conclude with this, is not about you. It involves you, but it's not all about you. It is about making the reconciling power of the gospel seen as glorious. If you'll take that concept with you, it will guide you through everything. Forgiveness is not about you. It's about making the reconciling power of the gospel seen as glorious. If that's my agenda, then there's people who've wronged me. I relate to them a bit differently. Unbeliever or believer. Someone that this is a thing that I can overlook because I'm sure God's working in their life or an unbeliever who's walking in entrenched sin. It's not all about me getting over the pain internally. It's all about me seeking to exalt the gospel and to work with this person to reconcile as I am able. We need then to be willing to put every offense in the hands of God and to leave it there ultimately. We need to be willing, where possible, to confront sin and extend forgiveness as God does. And most importantly, we need to know the forgiveness of God in Christ and live toward others as those who have indeed been forgiven. So what I do with all of this is not get all bent out of shape about how forgiveness is going to help me and all bent out of shape about how forgiveness particularly applies here. What I've really got to tag into is how does God move through this world with sinners? He doesn't forgive the unrepentant, but He calls them to repentance. He meets them in their sin. He overcomes evil with good. He pours out His mercy and His grace on the head of sinners every day. That's how I should relate to sinners. Not sinning in response, not taking vengeance, but striving where I can to confront, to forgive, to reconcile, to move forward. And when I can't do that, to be at peace with leaving it in God's hands and working to love my enemies as Jesus Christ loved me. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we give thanks for your mercies to us in Christ. We thank you for the clarity of your word, which we sure have an opportunity and a penchant sometimes to muddle up. 
But help us, Lord, not to do that. Because, and, and, and I know that you're merciful to us and you understand that we are weak and relationships get very confusing. But I pray that you'll guide us and sustain us to be reconciling people who love their enemies and always stand re- ready to forgive anyone who repents. Willing even, as Jesus taught us, to place in your hands any sin that would come between us and God. I pray, God, that you will help us to do that, that you'll teach us and direct us. And I pray in behalf, I know there's some people here, perhaps knowing specifically situations, but Lord, I know there's people here with great problems that no one knows anything about. Somebody's hurt them deeply. Or they've hurt someone else deeply, and there's a lot of problems that have come through this pain. I pray, Lord, that you will use this pain to teach us about your saving grace, that you will teach us about reconciliation, that you will guide us and direct us to understand your truth. And I pray that the pain that we have suffered at the hands of others would be poured out like a drink offering and would be offered up to you, thanking you that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to your purpose. How our faith is tested when you say all things. But we long, Father, to have that kind of faith that looks not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen and that marches on to heaven when the faith will become sight. We pray that you'll do your work through the suffering that we face, the wrongs that others commit against us, and may we be quick to confess our sins to those that we've harmed and sinned against. God, we lay these prayer requests at your feet praying that our considerations of forgiveness in your word would lead us to sanctification, to growth, and to the glory of your name. Through Christ we pray. Amen.